Hey, we're talking about uh, this uh, theme of this idea of conversations with Jesus. We're in John 14, so if you want to turn there in your Bible, we're working through this. And this uh, uh, topic or idea or understanding here is the statements of certainty. The statements of certainty, really they're about John uh, 14, 15, uh, at least, uh, I mean, particularly located here, from about John, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 15, to the end of this chapter, there are, several, there are lots of I wills or you will, uh, these kind of statements of certainty, and I thought I'd like to try to continue to work through a couple of those that I think are, are pretty significant. You know, we live in a world, I know, at least for me, that it seems like there's a lot less certainty, isn't there? <laughs> you know, I mean, man, I'm, I'm looking forward to any time I can get it. Uh, any time I can have some certainty or some sense of, of stability, I'm, I'm always looking for that. I, I remember whenever I was in college and I was in uh, my apartment that at one point Becky finally said, I will never come here again. And... Uh, <laughs> I have been a little messy most all of my life. Uh, my roommate and my, uh, Tom uh, Perry, who was from Cleveland, who was an Italian guy, I mean, his mother used to send him Italian sausages through the mail. We called him the Italian Stallion. And uh, Tom and I had this room together, and uh, we thought it would be a good idea. We liked drinking high C uh, back then, and it used to come in these metal cans. And we thought, you know, it would be a great thing to uh, stack all of those things once we got through with them. <clears throat> what we didn't realize for certain is that we were building a roach resort in Houston. <clears throat> we failed to wash them out. So a, a little bit of that grape uh, high C was still in there. And, uh, you know, a couple of guys living together, you know, we're, we're sitting around talking, burping, and, you know, like we were back in Phoenix. Uh, we didn't notice that stuff. Becky did, <laughs> ran out with her hair on fire one day and said, I will never, you know, that, that kind of certainty bothered me, you know, that she was so sure. I remember I was beginning to pray about should she and I get married. And uh, I, I remember distinctly praying in that roach-infested place that, uh, again, didn't bother me that much, um, that uh, 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 I, I remember praying and I remember asking God this. I wanted some real certainty here. I said, you know, you, 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 you maybe prayed this. Is she the one, right? Yeah, I heard that all my life, you know. People always said to me, when you, when you meet the one, you'll know it. That's a bunch of baloney. <laughs> that is a bunch of baloney. Uh, but I was praying, is Becky the one? Now, what I wanted was a guarantee, you know, that she would always love me and like me and mow the yard. And uh, all that, you know, I had a whole list of things. And I, man, I was really serious. I kept thinking, you know, is she the one? Is she the one? And, uh, you know, I, I don't claim to always hear God. I don't hear a voice. But I had a distinct impression. Had a distinct impression. And I think the Lord said this to me. shocked me. Uh, I was praying, is she the one? Is she the one I should marry? Is she the one? And I had this distinct impression that the Spirit, who I think can communicate with us, said this. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> And I went, what? <laughs> now, I think that, you know, to get me to listen, to get me to listen. Really, I mean, I'm saying it's just as clear as day to me. I didn't hear a voice, but, you know, as Chris was saying, Jesus said, you know, there are times, I, I, don't, I don't mean this happens all the time, but there are times when, when we're pretty certain that the voice that we've learned to follow is the voice of the Spirit, the voice of Jesus. And I went, uh, what? Yeah, I don't know. And I said, what do you mean you don't know? 
Now we're talking. We're actually in conversation now. I'm not just making my request, putting a, you know, putting a, a, a deal in. And I had this distinct impression that the Lord said to me, Cliff, the certainty that you're looking for, you're not going to find. Here's the certainty you can have. You need to be the man of God you're supposed to be. That's the question you need to be asking. You don't need to be asking, is she the one? You be the man of God you're supposed to be. And as you work through this relationship, you'll figure it out. Now, you know what? That puts some responsibility on me. But I understood that here was an area of certainty that I could actually deal with. You know, because I, you know, who knows what the future holds? Who knows what is going on? I mean, God knows that. But this idea of certainty, I, I want to guarantee right then. And the only guarantee I got, the only certainty I got really was, if you will, you be the man you're supposed to be. That's the only thing, Cliff, you can be certain about. That's the only thing you have any control over. That's the only thing that you can do anything about. You know, I'm, I'm always looking for certainty in other people. I'm always looking for certainty in circumstances. I'm always looking for certainty in other things. And that's just not the way it works. Certainty is something that happens in our lives, I think, when we align ourselves, when we decide, I'm going to be the kind of person that I'm supposed to be. And I'm the only person that has any authority on that. So in this passage, and I'm going to try to look at this here under that idea of certainty, Jesus makes two things here for me that are really certain. And we've talked about the first, we're not going back over it, is the certainty of obedience. It's based in love. And we've recorded a couple of those and you will listen to them. I really want to recommend that. Because I really, as I've worked through this more and more, I did... I did a Greek project in this thing years and years ago, but I've come back to work through it. I really think that these two areas of certainty are two of the most important areas in the Christian life. If you and I are going to follow Jesus, these two areas of certainty, one of them we're going to call obedience. One of them is obedience, the certainty of obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, what? You'll obey me. That the, that the idea that obedience to God is not simply a matter of being convinced it isn't just a matter of knowing. It isn't just a matter of understanding. It is fundamentally a matter of love. That I am willing to obey because I love this one who loves me. That's where it starts. We said that before. So I, that, that's an area of certainty I think for all of us we need to work with or understand or live in. The second one is, is the certainty of help. Anybody need help? <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah. Anybody need help? You know, the certainty of help. That after that, Jesus then makes this statement in 16. If you love me, you'll obey me and keep my commandments. In verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Now, some translations have helper, a comforter. Uh, some have advocate. Uh, we're going to look at that in a little more detail. That he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. It's interesting in the Greek, this is what we call a present derivative, and it is translated like this. I am coming to you. I am coming to you. As a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you'll see me because I live, you live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and the, you are in me, and I in you. 
And we're going to stop right there because I want to work through several things here in this matter about this certainty of help. That Jesus begins to say, if you will love me, or if you love me, you'll obey me, and I will ask the Father, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask the Father to give you another helper, and he explains that to the Holy Spirit. Now, on your outline there, here's a statement I want you to see from John Oswald, who is a world-leading Old Testament scholar. We touched on this two weeks ago, but I just want to hit it again. That this idea of the helper or the advocate or the comforter is understood as the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls him that uh, later in this passage. Except for Isaiah 53, the great uh, psalm there of the suffering servant, Oswald says, the giving of the Holy Spirit is considerably clearer in the Old Testament than is his, Jesus, atoning death and resurrection. That, that, that's, a, that's a mouthful. That, that's, a, that's a pretty stout statement for Oswald to say. But it, it suggests, if you will, that this idea of the Spirit is throughout the Old Testament in many, many places and many, many different ways. Joel 2, Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 36, uh, all throughout, threaded throughout the Old Testament we have this promise of this helper, if you will. So the promise of the Holy Spirit really is this promise of help. Now, I want to give you a little history here real quick, and we'll, we'll, we'll be done with this. The promise of the Holy Spirit in Jewish theology and in rabbinical teaching is, in fact, that the one sign or the signal, if you will, that the, Messiah, the age of the Messiah has come is that the Spirit has been bestowed. In Jewish rabbinical teaching, the, the, the idea here is how do you know that the Messiah is here, the age of the Messiah? It is in the giving of the Holy Spirit. I don't think I put this on your out. Yes, I did. I faked myself out here. And this is part of it. The Son of God ascends to heaven. The Son of God ascends to heaven and the Holy Spirit descends to our hearts. The Holy Spirit descends to our hearts. And so this, this is this idea that this is a, uh, a, the age of the Messiah when the, when the Son or the Son of God ascends and the Holy Spirit descends. So let's look at this, if you will, uh, this certainty of help. I want to start with several things here. Number one, the first thing we're going to say about the Holy Spirit here, this helper, is he's divine. I, I want to have you look at that here just for notice. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another Helper. Now, again, uh, if you want to know who this helper is, just look down at verse 26. Uh, the helper, he calls him what? The Holy Spirit. In verse 26, Jesus defines who this helper or advocate is. And it's interesting here, this term, another. Uh, in Greek, there are two words for another, two different ones. One means another of a different kind. Another of a different kind. If you are interested in that, you can read Galatians 1 where Paul says, there are these people who have come who preach to you another gospel. It, it, it's, it's another of a different kind. It's, uh, it does not have any uh, rec, uh, uh, requisite uh, uh, comparisons to it. It's another of a different... We get the word heteros uh, from that. We get the word heretic. Uh, some of you know this word or have participated in this. <laughs> uh, heretic or heterodoxical, or the idea of, of, again, it's different. There's another word, though, that means another, and it's the word alas, A-L-L-O-S, and it means another of the same exact kind. It's another 
of the same exact kind. And some, some, exegete, some scholars would say that what Jesus is saying, as I am divine, as I'm the son, I'm sending you another helper, another person, if you will, uh, who is divine. Not just some influence, not just some kind of feeling, but I'm sending you another helper who is both divine and understood as a person. Uh, we're going to celebrate Pentecost on May the 15th. You know, that's when it's coming. We're going to have our party and, and get going. I, I wrote in my notes uh, that this helper is the same kind as Jesus. And the Bible makes it clear, I think, throughout the scriptures that the Holy Spirit is a person. A person. Not an influence, not a feeling. It's interesting, in Judaism and in Islam, the idea of the Spirit is a little more of this mystical uh, sort of influence, a sort of feeling, if you will, but not a person. And I wrote in my notes here, Jesus shows us here through the use of this that it's another person, but that's a later lesson on May the 15th. So come back for that. Uh, so that I, of, of, of a divine person, that this helper, okay? Number two, let's go here. I'm moving. You see there's six on there, right? So you're hoping I'm moving. He's disposed to help. Notice what he says. I will send you another helper. Now, that word helper, let's, let's look here. I, I, I told you before, I think, that this word comes from the Greek word para, P-A-R-A, and the other part of the word is kletos, K-L-E, is how you try, K-L-E-T-O-S. The word helper. Uh, uh, exegetes have for all kinds of time tried to figure out what does this word mean. Uh, some translation will say helper because somebody that comes along. But let me tell you what it literally means. Para alongside Keleo to call you. In other words, that this person, this Holy Spirit, has been called to be alongside you. He's been called to be alongside you. To be there with you. So it's helper, advocate, comforter. I, it's always, or it, it, it comforts me to know this. And I wrote this, this idea. That this helper, this one who comes, is called to be by your side. I'm thankful that this helper isn't called to be in front of me to be calling me up further. Come on, come on up, come on up, come on up, you know? I'm thankful that this helper isn't behind me pushing me and shoving me and making me go. You know, we were on a hike the other day in, um, uh, uh, in Scottsdale, and we were taking some time off. We, we'd, we had talked enough to each other that we were tired of being with each other, so we took a hike. And so Bill, uh, Bill uh, Hamilton who lives there, said, we're going to take a hike. Now we're going up this uh, McDowell Mount. We'll go goofing around. Oh, it sounds like a lot of fun, you know. Put on sunscreen, got her hats, you know, got that. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> we're about to get there, and Bill said, now, I'm saying, you got a stick there. Yeah, yeah, what's that? It's my rattlesnake stick. You're what? <laughs> Guess who I walked by? <laughs> I didn't get in front of him. I didn't get behind him. <laughs> I got right beside Bill there for a while. And we come to the trailhead, and then, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, we, Bill says, we're going to go around the mountain. I said, that doesn't sound fun to me. That doesn't sound as much fun to me. So I'm going to go with these other guys, but I'm going to let Gary go first. <laughs> Gary's tall. I thought, Gary, he'll come out. You know, think about that for a second, though, that, that this helper has been called 
to be by your side. I mean, I, I wanted to be right beside Bill. He had a stick, that snake stick, whatever that is. It was big. Uh, he had it to knock him off. I didn't want a rattlesnake getting me. And I thought, I want to be right beside him. H how about the Holy Spirit here? This idea of someone who comes to help us, not in front of us, calling us up to where he is, not behind us, pushing us, or, 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 or even somewhat being negligent to let us just kind of go do our thing, but alongside of us. Now, he's been called to be by our side. Para, by our side. Call. Who did the calling? Did we scream out and yell? Did we know we needed the power of the Holy Spirit? No. God the Father called him to be by our side. The word there, call, is related generally to the notion of God, that he called him to be by our side, to be with us. The imagery here, to me, is wonderful. Now, the, two, the different terms of this idea is one is helper, Someone who comes along to give you assistance in areas you can't. But one of the words that's often used is the word advocate uh, and comforter. Com comforter comes from this kind of Latinized com fortis to means uh, to be with and give strength. Comforter is not just, oh, just patting you on the back, patting you on the head. Comforter comes from com fortis is the idea of somebody who is there with you to give you strength, to give you power. Uh, so the word comforter means that. Helper is the idea of someone who comes along to assist you in the areas that you may not be able to get done. Uh, you might make a note here in, in Romans 8, uh, 26. It says the Holy Spirit helps us with our weaknesses. Remember this, remember this verse? The, the Holy Spirit helps us. There's the word added, helping. Helps us with our weaknesses for we do not know how to pray as we ought. Can I get an amen? Are <laughs> you with me there? I remind the Lord of that occasionally. You know, I don't know what I'm doing here, right? <laughs> and again, I hear it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, the Holy Spirit helps us, helps us in our prayers that we don't. Now, that's an interesting term. And the idea here comes from the Greek word that means this, to be with us. English is so poor, you know. It means to be with us on the other side, lifting what we can't lift. And we get the word in English, help. <laughs> That's it. That's all we got. It's soon antilambanatai. It's a big, long word. And it means the Holy Spirit is there with us, lifting on the other side what we can't. So, so the idea of helper, it's not like, uh, you know, I've, I've helped people before. I remember a friend of mine was moving and I said, uh, I'll be glad to help, you know. I said, uh, you, you need to move that over there. I'm good at being a straw boss. You know? That's not the kind of help we're talking about here. We're talking about the kind of help that gets in there and is lifting on the other side of the problem we're in and lifting what we can't. Helper, it's a great word. It's a great idea. But often this, this word is translated advocate. Advocatus, the idea of advocate. It's one who speaks in your behalf. One who takes your case. Uh, it's often in the area of, in, in Jewish and uh, uh, Greek thought, is the idea of a, of a courtroom, of a courtroom. It, it, it's the advocate. He comes as our advocate who speaks in our behalf. Uh, I remember reading uh, uh, C.S. Lewis and, and others would talk about, you know, that whenever we are feeling condemned, we need to let the advocate speak for us. 
Not, not our own voices. You know, you got several of those in there I know. I've got several. I hear all kinds of stuff. You know, I hear all kinds of stuff. Uh, yeah, some of it, yeah. Uh, some of it's helpful, some of it's not so much. You know, uh, I'll always worry it gets quiet up though, though. What are they plotting to do? See, that's what worries me. But, but the idea of someone who speaks in your behalf. Now, this is important because in Judaism, let me, in Judaism, here's the thing. In Judaism, there is this clear teaching that on the day of judgment, on the day of judgment, you have an advocate. In Judaism, there, there's this strong idea in rabbinical teaching that on the day of judgment, you have an advocate. They call it an advocate, advocatus. You know what it is? Your good works. That's what speaks for you. Anybody want to sign up for that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a strong notion in Jew, Jewish teaching that whenever you stand before God, you have an advocate. It's called your good works. Jesus here is saying, no, there, there's someone else. There's, there's someone here who speaks in your behalf. There is someone here who is uh, speaking in your behalf to God the Father in order to intercede for us, if you will, uh, to be constant in his work in our behalf. I don't know. I just kind of grew up always thinking as a kid, you know, I've had all kinds of issues, but I was sort of that God was against me. You know, that God was always telling me what I was doing wrong. The longer I study the Bible, I realize that, that God is my advocate. God is the one who speaks through the power of the Holy Spirit in my defense. You know, I, I've been in a, I was in a, a, a jury trial in Texas years ago and, uh, you know, got called up for jury duty and, 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 and they were saying, you know, does anybody in here have any issues with, uh, you know, giving somebody a life sentence? And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I, well, I don't know, kind of depend. And, and uh, one guy said, I would. And he walks up there and, and uh, starts talking to the judge and the, the, the attorneys. And, and uh, the judge says, you're free to go. And I said, me, 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 whatever he said, <laughs> you know, because... What was interesting to me, though, is that when, when he wanted to talk to him, because the guy, the guy had, got, had legal counsel, the, the young man that was being charged. Anytime they talked to him, he had his counsel with him right there. You know, when you start talking to yourself or you start listening to yourself, it might be a good idea to let your legal counsel show up. It might be a good idea for you to say, wait a minute, I've got someone who speaks in my defense. It's the Holy Spirit of God who is my advocate, the one, the one who speaks in my defense. When I start hearing those voices, when I start hearing those things in my mind, when I start working through that, to say, you know what, I, I need to let my advocate speak in my behalf. Can you imagine that in that courtroom when that young man was there? The judge is talking to all of them, and he starts arguing with the judge or talking. He doesn't know what the law is. He's got an advocate. He's got an attorney to be able to do that for him. So Jesus says this one is disposed to help. Now, I want to ask you a question. I just, I just want to ask you to consider this. When you think about the Holy Spirit's ministry and work in your life, is He disposed to help? Or do you have to beg Him? I mean, down in your heart, down in your soul. When you think about God, when you think about uh, this uh, matter of, if you will, of a, it's getting warm up here. This, uh, Becky told me to button my top button. Now I'm getting rebellious. <laughs> I'm pretty obedient. Usually. This idea, I just, as I work with students and people in my own life, I talk to people all the time that God 
in some ways does not seem to be alongside him. That he's not disposed to help. You've got to say the right things. You've got to pray the right words. You've got to do the right things. He's not really disposed to help you. Now, I don't know where that comes from completely. I, I'm not sure where, where we start getting all of that. It may be part of our American, what I, what what I call social Darwinism. You know, we're, we're into that. You know, survival of the fittest. If you're in trouble, it's because you made a stupid decision. Get yourself out. It, that's social Darwinism. You know, that doesn't say, hey, sometimes people get in trouble and have difficulty and they need help, right? We're, this isn't just the, the survival of the fittest. It isn't God is saying, well, you know, you did that. That's what you're going to have to deal with. But, but this idea of being disposed to help. I've got a couple of friends like that. I mean, you, you just have to blink twice and they're ready to help you. But what is it about God that sometimes we, we don't think this advocate, this helper, is ready to help us? Jesus says right here, I'm going to ask for this, this advocate, this helper. So the third thing, these are all D's. It helps me remember them. Maybe it'll help you. Durable. He's durable. Notice what he says there. That he will be with you forever. He's going to be with you forever. I think this speaks to one of the great needs uh, in our lives. And that is the idea of of uh, uh, God's presence in our life as a settled manner. That God is on our side. He is with us and for us. Jesus said he's with... Now, this probably relates to a notion. You may know this, or if you don't, that's, I can help you a little bit. Is that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit does not ever seem to come and stay. He comes on people for certain activities. It will say that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Joshua, and he did what he did. Or the Spirit of the Lord came upon Cyrus, and he did this. The Spirit of the Lord came upon... Now, this isn't just a slam dunk here, but the notion here of coming and being forever is related to the idea, if you will, that we don't have to be concerned that this is some temporary... Augustine said that, Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is not some transient experience. I like the way he said that. Augustine said that the Holy Spirit is not just some transient experience. In our life, he comes to stay. He comes to live. He comes to dwell within us. And I, I'm, I'm looking at this uh, as I'm working through this and thinking, my goodness, how many of us need to hear that when he said that he will come to be with you forever? Now, you know, every verse in the Bible has to have some connection with others. This isn't, this isn't just making some blanket statement, except from this standpoint that the Spirit of God's ministry now is one to stay, not to come and leave. Come and be for what you need, not to use you for some uh, experience or matter, but to come and stay. This suggests the difference in the ministry in the Old Testament and in the New. The language of staying. This idea of, of, of him being. Uh, the other night, uh, well, I got some uh, husband fl- frequent flyer miles the other night. Um, we were listening to a song, and uh, it was by Stephen Curtis Chapman. And... Uh, you know, I, I, I almost played it today. I played the guitar a little bit, but I thought I'd spare you that. Um, the mistake I made in this song uh, was, as, as Curtis, I'll sing you, not sing you, I'll read you the words. Yeah, big sigh of relief here. Uh, was this idea of, of commitment and staying. And when, I've heard this, when I heard this song years ago, I really thought it was about God Speaking to his children. 
I come to find out it's about a guy talking to his wife. But it says this, tomorrow morning, if you wake up and the sun does not appear, I, 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 I will be here. I will be here when you feel like being quiet. When you need to speak your mind, I will listen. And I will be here when the laughter turns to crying, though the wit through the winning, the losing, and the trying. We'll be together because I will be here. You heard that song? It's beautiful, you know. Uh, I, I, I play my guitar a little bit. I, I thought I'd play it to Becky. She thought I was the most romantic human being in the world, you know. I'm the guy, and I'm not very much. I have to put on my uh, ca- a counter, buy Becky a card, you know, because my brain is in third gear all the time. You know what? I, I remember hearing that. L- listen to those words again. If tomorrow morning you wake up and the sun doesn't appear, I will be here. I'll be here when you feel like being quiet. When you need to speak your mind, I'll listen. I will be here when the laughter turns to crying through the winning, the losing, and the trying. We'll be together because I will be here. That's a beautiful song, but I'll tell you the first time I heard it, I wept like a baby because I heard in my heart and mind the commitment of God to His children. I heard in that song Whatever human love is possible. You know, we, we always like to talk about it's wonderful. Where did that come from? Where did that kind of love, where did that kind of commitment come from? It came from a God who says, I will be with you forever. I will be with you. I will be with you. This, this idea of this helper that, that Jesus speaks about here, that, that he's going to be with us, not leave us. Stay with us. Be faithful to us. I've said to my students before, you know, you you can get away from God, but it ain't easy. (laughs) You know? You can get away from Him, but it ain't easy. You can run from Him. And as the great poem, He's the hound of heaven. Yes. For sure, is asking, is that how grace fits in? Yeah. I think sometimes we think that God is like, please do not, the thoughts and opinions of this teacher are not necessarily thoughts and opinions across the community church, its elders, or leadership. Okay? I wrote one time, and I'm going to do a lesson, I'm going to do a book, that God is... Ladies, please forgive me on that. Uh, God is not like a bad girlfriend. How do I look? Uh, good? Just good? You know? Now, I'm sure there are boyfriends that are bad like that. But, I, you know, sometimes... This idea that God is like a bad girlfriend. He's just so prickly. He's just so sensitive to those kind of matters. That the idea here is saying that by His grace, by His commitment to us, what I never heard as a kid that I teach my students is this, the Christian life doesn't begin by you understanding how committed you are to God. The Christian life begins by you understanding how, God, how committed God is to you. We've got it completely backwards. The Christian life is not lived by your commitment or my commitment. It is lived by me constantly understanding the commitment that God has made to me. God was in Christ 
reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. 2 Corinthians 5.19. He was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Go to Romans 8 later, or 5 when it says, For when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There are four interesting words there in that passage in Romans 5, 6 to about 12. It says that we were enemies, we were ungodly, we were sinners, and we were helpless. And guess what Jesus did? He, if you will, died for us in that state. So this idea, we've got to get it rectified and understood that He will be with us. Does anybody ever have that problem and struggle? I, listen, I have to fight this off all the time. I haven't been good enough. I haven't done enough things. I need to do some more things. And all of a sudden, I'm back into that earning kind of situation. Right? Anybody with me? Yeah, sorry, you're here with me, but we're there. This idea of earning. But he said, listen, I'm going to ask that this helper, he will come and he will stay. No transient, if you will, of matter. Now, let, let's go on here. Fourth, he's distinct. Notice what it says. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him or know him. Now, that's interesting. He said, what is this spirit? The spirit of truth. This Holy Spirit. I, 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 we're going to have some more time to deal with this on Pentecost. But let me suggest to you, Jesus has already called himself what in 14.6? He's already called himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So this spirit, this Holy Spirit, this helper is the spirit of truth that is going to sound like, look like, in some sense, and act like who? Jesus. This is Trinitarian kind of language. I understand it's a, it's a complicated thing. But this idea, this spirit, this spirit of truth, I've said to you before, I, one of the things that, that troubles me at times is that sometimes people claim to be being directed by the Holy Spirit, but I say that spirit doesn't look like the spirit of truth in Jesus been with me on that? That's kind of my standard to say, wait a minute, you think you're being led by the Spirit? I don't know about that because that Spirit doesn't look like the truth that we see in Jesus. If it's angry and hostile and mean and dismissive or it's immoral or it's just kind of settling into the selfishness that I want, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't get that. Now, let me give you my idea on this as well. What is the truth here? I think that this Spirit will always work with us to tell us the truth about God and the truth about us. I think he'll always tell us the truth about God and always tell us the truth about us. You know, what, what I find the Spirit telling me is for me to depend on Him, for me to quit trying to manipulate, for me to quit trying to manage. The truth about me is I'm not God. Anybody else struggle with control? Here's a statement we did at the, at the men's retreat that I'm going to work on. We're working on it. Here it is. Live within, the, within, live within the grace of a single day. Live within the grace of a single day. The truth about me, maybe the truth about you, I'm trying to control things. The truth about me is I want my way. The truth about me is I want it figured out the way I want it. And control is a huge issue here for most of us. One guy said it this way when the retreat, he said, when we get afraid, we get afraid, we have one of two reactions, fear or trust. And guess what happens when we get afraid? Start controlling. Start controlling. 
See, this spirit of truth is going to help me understand, help you understand the truth about ourselves. Some of us are controllers. Some of us are paralyzed in life. It's not that we're trying to control everything. We just can't even get up and do anything. There are all kinds of issues here we need more time to deal with. But the idea here of the spirit of truth, he's come to tell me the truth about God and about me. This other one, we're moving, dwelling. Notice what he says. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. Now that's an interesting uh, kind of uh, phrase here. This idea of dwelling. This Holy Spirit. Where does he dwell? He says, he, you, you, you know this Spirit who's coming because he abides with you. Notice that right there in 17. That is the Spirit is in the world operating, doing things. But he says, but in the future, he will be in you. In you. This idea of an internal presence. This is the genius or the reality of Christian living. That it is not simply something that's lived from the outside in, but the inside out. That there's an internal presence. I've told you before, and I I tell my students still, I say this, I don't ask a person anymore, are they saved or going to heaven, those kind of things. I ask this, is there anybody in there but you? That's the question. Is there anybody in there but you? Just let that settle in you a little bit. This is not religion. This isn't just a bunch of rules. This isn't a bunch of matters of of trying to get my life in order. It really is this understanding where Jesus said, He will be in you. How He does it, I don't know. That, That to me is the mystery of mysteries of how the Holy Spirit, this helper, this advocate, actually comes to live inside of us. Ken Smith and I were talking one time because I, I, one of the things I have discovered about his presence in me, and this is all through here. If you want to see that, it's in 17C, 21, and 23. It starts there at 17C, but it's also in 1721 and in 1723. This idea of in you, in me, this, this kind of language. <clears throat> Ken and I were talking one time about this idea about the Spirit, about God living in us, being in us. How does it work? We, we sort of talked as we got around this to say, you know, what some of it comes around to is just one word, pause. Pause. I was in a situation the other day, and I was having to make some matters and situation, and at that moment I just said, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? You ever do that? Pause. I know what I want to do. <laughs> That's the problem. I know what I want to do. I don't have any problem knowing what I want to do, what I want to say, how I want to react. But if we have an internal presence, if we have someone living inside of us who wants to guide us and direct us and help us and be our advocate to say, what do you want me to do? That's the spirit of truth that will be like Jesus, the spirit of Jesus. What do you want me to do? Here, here's my opinion. At the university where I teach with students, 
this again is one of those topics that we don't talk much about. And that's being led by the Spirit. Romans 8.15 says this, As many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. He didn't just say those who prayed the prayer and signed the card. Go back and read it. As many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. It's It's a marker of His presence in our life leading us and guiding us. You know what? That's more mystical than I like. It's a little less. I'd like to have four steps to always knowing. I'll tell you what I've learned. There are times when I don't get anything back. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? Hmm. Okay. Hmm. You know, sometimes doing nothing is okay. (laughs) Did you know that? It's okay sometimes. Or to say, okay, the spirit of truth that Jesus talked about here is the spirit of Jesus. What did he say? What did he say? But I'm learning that this internal presence, this this matter of, of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit living in me is the promise of God. He abides with you, but He will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. Now the present tense here in 18, I'm coming to you. That, that caused a little bit of trouble there. I'm coming to you. doesn't mean, I, I, I'm fascinated, and you can look at this if you want to. I will come to you. That would be a, that would be a future. It is erkomai, which in Greek is in the present active indicative, which means I am coming to you. I'm on my way. I'm coming. Now, some scholars would say, does that mean Jesus is saying after the resurrection, I'm coming to you, we'll talk this over? Or is he saying, in the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm coming to set my rule and reign up? Because if you'll notice here in this, in that day, jump down to 20, in that day you will know that I'm in the Father. So Jesus is in the Father. Those words, in, again, this is this dwelling. I'm in the Father. You're in me. Okay. Jesus in the Father. I'm in Jesus, and Jesus and I am in you. That's the Trinity, folks. (laughs) That this notion of Jesus saying, I'm coming to you, I'm dwelling in you, that this, this Trinitarian understanding that God by the Trinity, His Spirit, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, live in us. This is crazy, isn't it? (laughs) See, we're always talking about, well, I can't do this. I was writing in my journal just the other day. I said, you know, my self-confidence has kind of been hit lately. Not sure why. Just some stupid things I've done or said, you know. Uh, and I'm riding along, and, and it's like, this, again, the Spirit of God kind of nudged me and just said, what are you doing having any self-confidence to begin with? What are you, what are you, what are you doing? He just said exactly like that. But it was, you know, hey, what are you, what are you doing having self-confidence? You have confidence in me. We're in here. All of us, right? I don't understand that. The, the Greek fathers called this, or the Greek word, perichoresis. It's the dance. Peri, along with choreosis, or choreosis is the word choreography. That when you speak of the Trinity there, it's a dance. It's a, now, for you Church of God people that can't dance, <laughs> and for you Baptists that didn't but wanted to, 
Just veg out for a minute. It's the word that the Greek fathers referred to about this internal presence of God, how they're relating to one another and how they invite us by being, them being in us to join the dance. Isn't that a great image instead of join the workers? You know, let's all be a worker for Jesus. No, join the dance. The Father's in you. The Son's in the Father. We're in the Son and the Spirit. This idea of entering the dance. And interesting, I, I know how to dance a little bit, but I'm not that good. I'm not that graceful. Think about that. When people can dance, what? They're graceful. Listen, the Trinity invites you to a dance in which they're graceful. It's a grace dance it's not a condemning dance it's a graceful dance he says I'm dwelling in you I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you I'm getting older all the time this is the miraculous truth of the Christian life quit looking outside quit looking out there and begin to say God you've placed your life in me your Holy Spirit to be led and guided. And you won't always get it right. I don't always get it right. But you know what? I'd rather be in that position of learning how to dance. I'd rather be in that position to say, now how do I make this move, you know? How do I do this? Instead of just thinking it's some out here because we talk about our strength and our self-confidence. God is saying, you don't need any self-confidence, Cliff. You need more confidence in me. You, you need more confidence that I'm here. That I really am with you, dwelling with us. The presence of God. I had a friend, his name is Bill Curry. A couple of people know him in here. And uh, Bill uh, told me some years ago, his wonderful wife, um, uh, Donna, died several years ago. And Bill and I got to know each other a little bit. And he was from Oklahoma and I was from Texas. And we sort of had this battle going. <laughs> but we liked each other, sort of. Except the first week in October. And uh, <clears throat> Bill and I were talking one time, and, and his wife had died, and he said to me, he said, you know, I had prayed. It sounded terrible. He said, I would prayed that Donna would die first. I said, boy, you are a weird okie now. <laughs> Sounds pretty cruel. He said this to me. He said, you know, Cliff, uh, she's been gone a few years, and it's been so hard to be by myself. I never wanted Donna to have to experience that. I never, I never wanted her to have to live by herself. I thought, the sense of loneliness that he had, I mean, he had good friends, he's a good guy, but he thought, I don't want Donna to feel that. You know, I think some of us sometimes even though we may have husbands and wives or friends, we really feel lonely. Church can be a lonely place. Families and friendships can be a lonely place. Isn't it part of the gospel, truth, and good news to say, I'm in you. You don't, you don't have to be alone. 
I'm here. If you'd pause, learn to dance, and respond to my lead, I'm here. To me, that's a growing edge for me. I'm an extrovert. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> and I've had to at times in my life realize that I've placed people in that place. Friendships, relationships. I like people, most of them. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes I've tried to, if that sense of loneliness ever comes, I've tried to fill that up a little bit with people. Anybody ever done that? And, 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 and think, well, if I've got enough friends and enough people and enough people know me, I, I can kind of fill that little place up. It won't work. You know that. Because the helper, the, the advocate is saying, I won't leave you as an orphan. You know, Becky and I never had kids. And as I got older, it's getting a little scarier now. I got a couple of y'all picked out. We're coming to live with you when I get. Yeah. Get ready, Charles. <laughs> but I thought about it, you know. Don't have any kids. When I read this to think, could it come someday? I'll be alone. Yeah, it could. But the hope of the gospel, the promise of the gospel, I'll be in you. Welcome to the dance. Participate in the dance. This internal presence, I'm, I'm in you. I'm with you. I, I'm going to stop here because we've got to go. And I, I've got one more and I'll just give it to you. Duty, the duty. Uh, here in 4, 1426, uh, says, Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes, I've told you he's the shy member of the, of the Trinity. Look there in verse 26. But the helper of the Holy Spirit, the Father will summon, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I said to you. The duty of the Holy Spirit, if you will. He doesn't speak of himself. This is why I think we miss him so he doesn't draw attention to him. Jesus said, well, see, see he, when, when the Holy Spirit is working, he's glorifying Jesus, not himself. That his duty is to remind us of what Jesus said. Notice there, he'll bring to your remembrance. Now, I have some friends that are real mystical and seem a lot more spiritual than I am. And they, they will say, they've told me before, they'll say, I was you know, praying one night and the Lord said, go look up Job 12, 22. And they don't have a clue what it means. And they go look at it and it just speaks right to me. Anybody ever, I hate those people. <laughs> Maybe they're so dialed in. But I've got friends like that. They say, you know, I was just praying. And it, that hasn't happened to me. When I'm praying, when I'm seeking, when I'm looking, I hear the Spirit reminding me what Jesus said. Cliff, remember when Jesus said this. Re remember when Jesus said that. He will remind you. He'll teach you. This, this idea, because I told you this. I, I mean this. Today, every day, I, I, I try to operate on this. That real teaching... In here, or my class at school, is when you hear another voice. If all you've heard is me, what a waste of time. Real teaching is when you hear another voice. When that voice of the Holy Spirit says to you, this is for you. This is what you need. You've heard that voice, haven't you?
See, Jesus said, He's going to come and teach you. He's going, to, he's going to remind you what I said. He's going to teach it in such a way to say, that's for you. That's for me. That's His duty. That's a harsh word, maybe or too strong. But that's what He's about. He's never going to draw attention to Himself. That's the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit. He never draws attention to Himself. He always makes much of Jesus. In fact, my spirit, if I have a spiritual Geiger counter, I don't know. But my spiritual Geiger counter, when people begin to get all excited about the Holy Spirit... I'm okay with that until it becomes about the Holy Spirit or them. If Jesus isn't the center of that, I get real nervous about that. So here's the application I'd like for you to think about. What if this week you allow Jesus to do the asking <clears throat> to help in your regard, in your regard for the Holy Spirit? But, you know, he said, I will ask. You don't have to ask. I think I got another slide here. I do. Here it is. Let me give it to you. Let me give it to you. What if this week you pick... I don't know what happened. What if you this week you pick one... That's the first uh, deal. If you pick one of the features of the Holy Spirit you need in your life, is it dwelling? Is it divine? Is it uh, a distinction? Whatever that is. Ask the Spirit to work this in your life. Or get a copy of Forgotten God. Francis Chan wrote this book some time ago because it's his assessment that churches in America are not talking about the Holy Spirit. They're not teaching the Holy Spirit. So he's titled his book, it's about the Holy Spirit, Forgotten God. Amazing. Why don't you get that book and begin to read it? Or there's another book, one of the best books I ever read on the Holy Spirit was Joy Unspeakable by David Martin Lloyd-Jones. And commit to reading that. To say, okay, I'm either going to get a book and start reading it or I'm going to pick out one of these six that Cliff talked about which one of those do I need in my life, in my understanding, in my practice? So let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is way beyond our ability to understand or explain, but you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, are able to help us to experience and live this out by your presence. We look to you, we depend upon you, and ask that you might take these thoughts, your word, and place them in our heart in such a way that we begin to live in the dance. We accept the invitation to this dance. In Jesus' strong name I pray. Amen.